0: What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Lightspeed. Today, we are joined by Abai Kumar from the Hillian Foundation. Abai, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me, guys.
0: Yeah, we're pumped to have you. Look, working in crypto, I know this is probably the same for you. One of the first things people ask me is like, what does crypto actually enable? And besides, like for the world's greatest online, you know, global casino, um, what does it do? It's kind of hard to explain. I think one of the best things I can point to is stable coins and payments. But after that, one of the most interesting sectors is actually DeepIn. Which is what Helium is doing. So I'd love for you before we go deep into what Helium is, if you could just describe what Deepin is at a high level and maybe a little bit of the history behind it.
1: That's uh, that's fun. I, I love the sort of connection to payments because that's what I, I did before anything in uh, in, in Deepin. Um, but yeah, so so Deepin in general is this concept um, uh, that I guess Sammy at um, at Masari came up with the with the uh acronym but you know this, this idea is a deep centralized physical infrastructure network and, and i think there have been a couple of versions of, of these like acronyms there's like tippin token incentivized physical infrastructure networks um i tried to meme something into existence <laughs> uh, helium inspired we weren't the first so you, we can't really say that we were the first one of these things i think live Peer was and, and you know uh that project has been been running for a few years longer than us um but generally speaking um this is like a way to bootstrap a physical marketplace. Um, that's that's really the way that I think of, of all of these kinds of networks. There's a resource that is uh, that is needed uh, by by some consumer out there. And in our case, these are wireless networks. Um, and uh, and and you have excess you know su- you know excess supply of this and 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 so that's that's really what um, these kinds of networks kind of enable uh, is, is sort of bootstrapping that kind of marketplace very very quickly. Um, building up uh, a tremendous amount of supply very quickly, and then you know, hoping to meet the demand that, that is uh, that is there at the time that that uh, that when that supply is created.
2: So that concept of maybe a marketplace for physical um, infrastructure is not too obvious of a concept, I would say. Um, so maybe one interesting place to start from would be: How did helium start? Like, what, what's the founding story? Like was it like a eureka moment or was it a gradual process? Like maybe it wasn't crypto at first, then you guys added crypto. Like how did that look like?
1: Yeah, so Helium as um, the, the original company behind the Helium network, uh, now it's called Nova Labs. Uh, that company has been around for uh, now over 10 years. Um, they started off as, a, as an IoT company. Um, they were building uh, really everything from uh, the protocol uh to the networking layer to the, the sensors themselves or the sensor platform themselves, the gateway platform, um, the data layer between the two and sort of the analytics platform, they were focused on, you know, particular verticals. So they were looking at um, cold supply chain, um, you know, putting temperature sensors in uh, super cold fridges at UCSF medical center or um, in, in restaurants. And those are the places where um, uh, you know, there was a need uh, on a campus. But as soon as you left that campus, there was no more coverage, right? and um, You know, at at the time, like, how do you really, like, you know, the disincentivization problem wasn't really thought about until, uh, later on, you know, many, many years in when they realized that they needed this sort of wide network to be able to be able to build, you know, very generic applications. Um, for example, if you have like a package tracking application, um, you want to slap a sticker on the side of a box, uh, as soon as that box leaves a, a depot, it no longer uh, has any coverage, um, and you don't you don't want to go ask for every single Wi-Fi AP's like password along the way they are out of that of that package. Um, similarly, like if you have you know a hundred thousand sensors sitting out in the field, um, you know it is uh, incredibly expensive to connect all of those into a cellular network. So that's that's really like Helium came as a as a protocol that was the, uh, to, to sort of enable these kinds of very very large applications. Um, for you know, very, very simple data, data like very small data sets.
0: So Helium started, I think, in 2013, 14-ish, but you released your first product, or you could actually start mining and like having these hotspots in 2019. And that was That's all true. around IoT, which is what you're talking about. And I think it's interesting. I don't know if this will tie in later. I was actually at a company uh, where we worked in agriculture, and we provided loans to farmers based on the grain that they had on site. One of the problems is if a grower lies about how much grain they have, you could provide a loan and you have nothing backing that. So what we wanted to do is put IoT sensors in these grain silos so you could measure actually how much grain was there and you could go even further and get the quality. One of the problems we ran into was the cost. Um, but it sounds like that was something that you were trying to solve is really lean into this IoT you know, paradigm that I think was um, it was a big narrative, but it almost got lost somewhere. I don't know if it was too expensive or what. So I'm just curious, yeah, how did that IoT... Um, strategy go? Because I know now you're also doing mobile, right? You're providing 5G plans.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the, so in the last four years, the IoT network's grown um, tremendously, right? There's been, there are hundreds of thousands of, of nodes been deployed all over the world, you know, coverage in every major city that's out there. I think like ultimately, um, if you, if you want to build an application that is a sort of sensing application and, uh, and you want a low power network? Helium is your is your choice, right? Um, think of it like the macro network for the world, um, and you know we think about macro networks and private networks and in cellular, like this is the this is the macro network for IoT in my mind. Um, and I think that that is uh, that is only possible because of the rapid deployment of, of these kinds of hotspots. Um, you know, your, your grand is. it reminds me of a, of a hack that someone did a while back. This is now maybe over two years ago where someone was trying to figure out how much coffee was in their, uh, uh, roaster, uh, bucket. Um, and the way they did that was they put a sensor on the inside of the lid. So every time they closed the lid, um, You could basically figure out the depth of, uh, of, of the space that was in there. And so you could essentially invert that. And now you can know how much coffee beans are in in your, in your thing. And they could figure out, oh, it's time to go, you know, a roast of more coffee beans. Um, so, you know, like your case, you're looking effectively for an inverse, like distance sensor. Um, and I think that something like that is uh, is possible, especially for, if you think about Helium as a network, you know, you're talking about a silo that is located, um, you know, in the middle of farmland. Helium uh, uses a, uh, on the IoT side, uses a protocol called LoRaWAN. Um, you have a tremendous amount of range of LoRaWAN, right? You can, you can cover uh, tens can you of... Can you cover what uh, that is? What's
2: that? Can you just describe quickly what LoRaWAN is? Just for yeah, so...
1: Yeah, so LoRaWAN is a is a low power wide area network um, protocol and and the idea is that it's um, it uses it's it's primarily for very very small uh, packets I um, think 23 bytes, 20, 24 bytes of data. Um, and so you know what you can put in there is something like a, you know, a temperature reading, uh, a GPS reading, um, you know, something like a distance reading, like the small integers perfectly fine. Right. And you can send these over very, very long distances. Typically, you're in the sub gigahertz spectrum. Um, uh, in the U.S., it's 900 megahertz. In the, in Europe, it's, uh, it's 868. Um, and so, like, these packets can travel really, really far distances. The, the sensors themselves are incredibly cheap. Uh, and then, you know, you use a network like Helium and you're paying, you know, uh, fractions of a penny, uh, per, per packet. Um, uh, at scale, I think like a hundred thousand messages cost you a dollar.
0: Hmm. That's crazy. So Helium's the largest IOT network, which is insane to me. What is, but what is the secret like sauce behind that? Why, where does crypto come into play and like what makes it that you're able to build out that network so successfully?
1: So we, we introduced a couple of things. Um, and that's, that's of what launched in 2019. And we introduced this concept of proof of coverage and proof of coverage is really this sort of bootstrap incentive. Um, when you, uh, when you have a hotspot that you deploy, You're sort of claiming that you're in a certain location. Um, But you don't really know if that location is actually real because blockchains don't know anything about the physical world. So you sort of need to introduce information about the physical world. So, you know, each of these hotspots at the time would actually run a full copy of the blockchain. Um, You know, when we first launched, um, that's since changed. uh, uh, But they would also kind of challenge each other. Um, and so uh, the way they would do this is so they would sort of send out a beacon, and other hotspots around it would be able to witness them, and, and all of that information got written on chain. And an algorithm decided whether or not that was a expected uh, kind of reading, um, and if it was ex- expected, um, both the beaconer and the witnesser got rewarded for that work. Right, so they they were doing work, they were they were mining um, in order to get those tokens at the time.
2: So. You, you, you said um that each beacon used to have its own copy of the blockchain the entire blockchain and that blockchain was at the time the helium blockchain right you guys had your own That's right. uh, l1 can you maybe go back to those days and discuss like um what that was like like building your own l1 essentially for this specific application because obviously there's now the app chain thesis which is like you know if apps become big enough they'll like create their own L1 and capture the fees and whatnot. But you guys did actually the opposite. You had your own L1 and you're like, nope, that's too much operations. We're going to actually go to a
1: general purpose uh, L1. Yeah, I mean, carrying a pager for block production sucks. Like, let's just be direct about it. Um, You know, I I was one of many that had to do that too. So, you know, I think uh, running your own L1 while also building a wireless network um, are two enormous problems. And they are two sort of very uh divergent problems as well right like I, I think that for folks that um you know are thinking about the uh, the, per, the sort of blockchain side of it block production transaction validation consensus um those are all really really like interesting cool technical problems um they need to serve a, a somewhat generic use case even if like you know Every blockchain needs something like transfers and payments and consensus. You know, the fact that we also had things like proof of coverage and, uh, you know, we had a, a sort of uh, state channel, um, you know, kind of layer two uh, on, you know, on our on our original chain as well. Like, all of those bits were important for our particular application, but, but you still need all the base layer stuff, right? And I think that um, uh, that is, uh, that took a lot of our time. Um, and, you know, at the time, like, If you were going to ask, like, what is Helium for? Is it uh, to do block production or is it to, you know, know, create an enormous wireless network? I think the answer is pretty obvious, Um, you know. But hindsight bias is what it is, right? At the time, also, there wasn't really another option, right? So this is 2019. Um, The design of this started in 2018, Um, you know, everything was on the table at the time right uh can we put bitcoin miners on every one of these hotspots no nah, it's not gonna work uh can uh is uh you know ethereum an option at the time you know we looked at it it really didn't make sense we were concerned about long-term fees still a concern hasn't changed really um so you know i think that uh and Solana didn't exist uh at the time either um and and so at the time like making our own blockchain actually made sense um you know, running it on those nodes themselves also made sense. Uh, there was a uh, about a year before we moved to Solana, a little over a year that we moved to Solana, we actually moved um, consensus off of those blockchain, uh, off of the actual hotspots themselves, um, and moved to stake validators. Um, and that's also made sense at the time, right? And I think all of these things, in hindsight, sure, like, could we have moved chains earlier? Of course. Uh, could we have uh, skipped the validator step? Probably, right? But like, you know, when you're in the thick of it, when you're constantly firefighting, uh, both at keeping a chain up and building a wireless network, um, you sort of make the decisions that are right at the time, I think, and you sort of try to convince the community. One thing that I really appreciate about Helium's ecosystem is we've been very involved with the community, and the community has been very evo- uh, involved in the evolution of the network from the beginning, right? Like, it started off as a Slack group. Um, uh, it turned into a Discord channel. The Discord channel has, you know, 100,000 people on it. Um, uh, the amount of governance participation is higher than I've seen in pretty much any other crypto network. And, and it's, uh, it's something that I, you know, if you look at real voting, you know, off chain and in the, you know, in, in the real world, um, uh, crypto is pretty bad just in general, right? Like we just don't have a lot of participation. Um, but, uh, you know, at least within our, you know our bubble. I guess we do pretty well, um, but I still want to get that to be better. Uh, but yeah, it was. It's been really great to like continually evolve, continue to you know make uh, make choices that turn out to be imperfect, and then continue to iterate. Right? Like this is something that I appreciate about Helium, and you know, kind of what I work on. You know, prior to Helium, I did some stuff in Bitcoin, and um, you know, it's it's a very different kind of mindset. I think.
2: Yeah, I think that's super underrated. Like. The fact that deep-in protocols essentially are almost like DAOs, uh, and actually, they're the probably the most successful example of DAOs that I'm aware of, like uh, the the governance aspect um, for Helium High Mapper, things like this, Render even. It's, it's very involved, as opposed to like a Discord chat and people just are talking about JPEGs. Um, OK, <laughs> so it's, I don't know, let's say it's like 3 AM or something, you get paged, block production is solved, some crazy uh, L1 deep issue what is the thought process? How did you guys decide you must've evaluated a bunch of different chains, a bunch of different options. What is the decision? You're like, okay, we're going to go with Solana. Like how did that come to be?
1: There, there are a couple of things that, that sort of came in, you know, one was like knowledge of the Solana ecosystem. It definitely was a, it was a huge part of it. Um, and kind of knowledge of the Solana team, like, like that, that definitely was a, was a part of it. Um, uh, also, like we we started looking at other, uh, at what are the options out there? Like, like, can we? This is we started with Ethereum, right? Like, hey, like, can we just do Eth L1? Like, can we can we settle to the L1? Can we build our own L2? Like, all those things were, were considered. Um, you know, fees are still something that that we think about. Like, we have to move. We had to move nine hundred thousand wallets. Um, uh, sorry, seven hundred thousand wallets, nine hundred thousand hotspots um, somewhere. Right. Hotspots on our, uh, on our chain weren't really NFTs. Um, like I think an NFT is really an implementation detail, to be honest. And that's how we did it on, on Solana with compression. Um, but you know, all, and and I'm sure someone's probably mad at me saying that, <laughs> um, but like, I mean, it ultimately is like, I'm an engineer that just needs a tool, right? Like I, that's an implementation detail that I, that's how we implemented it. Um, maybe there's another way to do it too, but on Solana, that's the way that it made sense. Um, how would you implement every single you know uh, how would you reify every single hotspot uh and every single location in the world on chain and in some of these other chains like that was something that we had to consider. Um Solana was um you know with compression that that was a that was that was sort of the way to do it. Uh there were some like somewhat seemingly minor things, but actually I think pretty important things. So um uh, one was like, was key compatibility that we thought about a lot. Um, so, uh, Helium uses, um, the Edwards curve for, uh, all of our, um, uh, all of our user wallet keys. Um, uh, almost all of them, but you know, effectively 98% of them. Um, uh, and, you know, being able to very easily migrate those wallets to Solana, um, was actually a pretty important thing because now there's no bridge risk and there's no, like, potential, like, you know, helium2.com slash claim but like website that gets thrown up some like phishing thing where like a bunch of helium wallets get rugged like that was something that like we didn't have to think about that at all because we just said hey on this day our chains going to halt and within a few hours all of your user state is now sitting over here um, like it literally was like you know a, f- uh, a few hours of downtime between and, and me and Noah Trying to like shove that thing over here, (laughs) roughly speaking, Um, and that was and that was great. Like to be able to tell that story and like the the user experience for most people was they opened up the wallet one day and they were on the Helium L1. The next day they opened up the wallet, there was like a little spinner saying, "Hey, like come back a little bit." And then the day after that, they opened the wallet and it says, "Migrating to Solana." You know, status bar finishes and you're now just using Solana, right? Like there was no, there's nothing else to do, and that. That kind of user experience is something that is, I think, core to the you know personal ideology and how you build products, but also like how we've done things in Helium all along. Like most people that come to Helium don't know anything about crypto, they don't know anything about radios, but they like join this Discord channel, join the enclosures and off grid uh, uh, channel, and like figure out how to put up giant antennas on their roof and post like stick ass pictures of like where they are. Like that's that's you know. These are novices that have become, you know, uh, sort of amateur, almost experts uh, at radio and at crypto just by like sort of being introduced to this project. Um, That's who we're solving for. And so it's kind of important, I think, to like build the user user experience. that's perfect for them.
0: Yeah, but it's funny. I I first heard of Helium from my friends who don't pay attention to crypto at all that started a group chat <laughs> during like the 2021 bull market. They're like, oh, you got to order these like Helium devices, you know, and then you can start mining H T. and And it was like this, It got there was a lot of hype. And it's funny because I was kind of in crypto at the time, but I hadn't heard of it. But these people that didn't understand crypto at all did. And I think one reason is people just could relate to like IoT and mobile a lot more than they could. Like this is some DEX where you can like do recursive loops and so forth. So I think it does, like <laughs> it connects with like the average user or individual a lot, more and that's probably why you hear some people say that they think deep end could be like one of the catalysts for the next bull market but we'll we'll maybe talk about that later one, one thing i would like to to double down on is you talked about during this migration which happened i think in april of 2023 you had to mint all of these hot spots i'm just curious i think it's over a million or close to a million hotspots that you have today how does like the nft and nft compression and these hot spots work like is it okay so if i have a hot spot i plug it in and somehow I receive an NFT for it. Like how do those play together and how do you incentivize the network to go to like new regions to get coverage in an area that's maybe lacking that coverage right now?
1: Great question. Yeah. So like the, the NFT themselves, as I said, um, and diminishes what the work behind it of course but it's 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 an implementation detail of this thing that exists in the physical world right um that thing in the physical world has attributes it has a location um it admit has some antenna information associated with it um all of that in metadata is, is stored um you know sort of associated with this compressed nft um you know we uh when you sort of onboard your your device, you're you're effectively like sort of providing that information. Um and then this const the, the sort of proof of coverage, what it does um on the IoT side specifically, um has different sort of scaling factors on whether or not your area is very dense or, or not very dense. Um, you know, when you challenge well, when your hotspot is sort of participating in a proof of coverage challenge, um, you know, you broadcast to your neighbors and your neighbors say, hey, I saw you. And then all of that information sort of gets aggregated. um, And that activity is actually what gets rewarded um, prior to any data transfer happening. Separately, if there's data transfer that happens, um, when let's say there's, uh, you know, 10 packets that go over your, your, uh, radio because it's there, um, and it's always listening. LORWINS, um, uh, and Aloha protocol, essentially sensors just shouting <laughs> in, in every direction, um, or whatever direction, depending on the type of antenna that it is. Um, and then any hotspot around it can pick it up and, and, and they're all kind of racing to be the one that says, Hey, like, can you, uh, w- would you buy this packet? Um, and you know we have the sort of packet routing infrastructure that buys the packet you know has rules around how many of the, or how many hotspots uh, the user ultimately wants to buy from um, you know if you're if you just want a single sensor reading, you might just buy it once. If you want to do some kind of trilateration, like you might buy it from three, five, seven hotspots. Like those are all like options that you might have. But yeah, all of that activity gets paid for on chain. And then like, ultimately, if you're putting a hotspot up, one of the things that you're thinking about is what is the density of hotspots, uh, other hotspots that are in this area? Is this new? Is this a new area that has never been covered? Is this an area that needs more redundancy? You know, Loroan is a protocol rule of naturally rewards redundancy um you want to have you know a hotspot has like a range of tens of square kilometers um so having multiple hotspots in an area is is a good thing but you know it shouldn't be like what's happened in san francisco or new york or any you know a lot of the large cities in the us um where uh you just have a tremendous like way too much coverage than, than you need like I think there's there was a time there's like twelve hundred hotspots in in San Francisco and that just you know doesn't isn't doesn't make any sense.
0: Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And I know that you like reward people more based on areas that you need coverage, for example. And then the more devices you have in an area like that yield goes down almost like if you were staking a protocol, the more stakers you have, the lower that yield is. Um, One last like kind of more technical question. I'm curious at a high level how you think about Oracles because I feel like Oracles are really important to anything. Like what's cool about Deepin is you're integrating into the real world. Um, But, you know, with real world assets, whether you're financing, you know, house, real estate, like something that Maker's trying to do, or in this case, um, it's kind of like it could be the key Achilles' heel of the protocol as well, because you have to depend on that oracle to bring off-world data online. Similar to the silo example I gave, we could have an I- IoT mm-hmm. device, but if it's broken or someone can mess with it, then it's you know completely inaccurate data. It doesn't matter that it's permissionless on chain. So I'm just curious, like how do you, how do you think about oracles and crypto at, at, at a high level? Is that something that's actually scalable without either running into fraud or I don't know some type of difficulty?
1: I, mean, I think you need to layer the information, right? So there's like sort of a base set of information that you get it provides you some level of trust and you add on some more information that gives you more trust and and sort of the way that i think oracles get secured is by how much sort of layers of trust from multiple parties that can be sort of applied together to to build up a sort of trust score um, i'll give you an example of this that i think helium could could play a role in and, and this is around um uh container tracking uh for for, sh- for shipping um you know when a boat comes into a uh, into a bay like you know it's being tracked by gps it you know might have a transponder uh that is information that is um you know those are two oracles right like the the transponder that's on the boat you know could be manipulated of course um but you know probably trustworthy um because there's some legal ramifications uh to that um uh you know the gps gps is. Fairly hard to spoof, but it's doable. Like you can build um, sort of fake constellations around radio, uh, around uh, uh, around antennas, um, and you can sort of reposition assets. Like that's that's another thing. But you know, if you have multiple layers of of, uh, of sort of redundant data that's coming in, um, you can also have lower end sensors in every single one of these containers. And when that container enters, all the hotspots around could. Uh, could also pay attention and, and sort of transfer some information about, hey, it entered this port of entry, or hey, it's now over by the actual port, or hey, it's just hanging out. Like, San Francisco, we have, like, a line of uh, boats, like, lined up in front of Oakland Harbor. Um, and especially during COVID, like, we saw the worst of it, where there was just a giant backup of of, uh, of these full <laughs> uh, ocean-going vessels on the bay. Um, all that's, like, important data. And, you know, you can ha- you can layer on different sources helium sensors is one um, you know something like planet labs uh, satellite information is another and all this together can build this sort of I uh, think this layer of trust and that's I think that's where Oracle scale over time it's like how do you bring on multiple sources and, and layer on the trust
2: but when you were just talking there somebody just created a telegram chat between Helios, Hel- Helios but then and then their team and then they named it helium in that team and that's the first time that's ever happened. Um, so people who, for for people who don't know, my company is called Helios. Obviously sounds a lot like Helium, which is a complete something I didn't realize it sounds after. It's a little confusing. Um, yeah. And somebody just for the first time ever made a group chat and then confused Helios for Helium when they're in their thing. So I that was very interesting.
1: Um what one thing um It's okay. We're uh, basically the same this is actually maybe the first time we've ever been in this in you know, together. So I think yeah. we finally like broke the broke the <laughs> broke the joke bibu <laughs> can't joke about this anymore
2: <laughs> yeah for some for some context Vib uh founder of drip who we had on uh the show before um uh, uh took a selfie with with abai and then and then said uh great to be here with like the helios foundation ceo and like tagged me <laughs> but it was a picture of a and then did the same thing with with uh taking a picture with me and then taking Abai. so that was He's uh, a that troll. Was pretty funny.
0: I didn't know he was a troll, but now all my it's interactions with him, troll. he's constantly throwing jabs. <laughs> yeah, he's good at it. Oh,
2: yeah. Um, uh, well, okay. So, my question okay, um, talking about previous guests, we actually had Jeff Morrison, who's one of the minds behind Tinder's early success, now uh, managing partner chapter one. And he said the 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 um, Helium had a go to market campaign that was the best he's seen in crypto, uh, which I think it was like the Miami Billboard. And it was like $5 internet or something along those lines. Um, And so I want to talk about go-to-market and how you guys are actually, you know, uh, you said actually most of your users maybe aren't even familiar with crypto, right? Um, What has that been like as like a crypto-heavy protocol or, you know, at least some crypto-centric protocol? How has that shift been to um, getting users in the go-to-market for people who are not crypto-native? Has that been like very difficult as a crypto protocol or how should other founders think
1: about it? Yeah, I'll I'll take a maybe give two different answers there one uh yeah so helium mobile is a new kind of carrier that's being built on top of the helium network um it's being built by the original uh founding team of the network nova labs um they licensed the helium name from us the foundation um to sort of launch this carrier here in the u.s um their whole thing is like we have a better way to uh a sort of a better kind of carrier and and a sort of a better way to deploy these kinds of carriers um and i think you know the, the bet that they're taking um which i which i think is a, is a really interesting one um is that you know the coverage of the of the helium 5g network will grow so much uh, and, and and so sort of well in the cities that they're focused in um that most of the backhaul will happen on the, on the helium network versus, you know, the, the, the roaming partner that they have, they're, they're working with T-Mobile. Um, and that, and that is a pretty scalable business. It's a very different way to build. And, you know, typically you have these things called um mobile virtual network operators, um, contrast them to MNOs, uh, like Verizon mobile network operators, Verizon, T-Mobile, AT&T, um, who actually own, you know, the, the, the network itself. Uh, so yeah, so they're like, they're a very different kind of carrier which i think is like and and that sort of and and they're also layering on some important features for for this audience that you know that we know like privacy features um you know a uh, sort of better customer experience um you know all those kinds of things are are things that they're building so you know they're building a mass market product they're not building a crypto product um, the crypto part is like an interesting thing and it actually enables their business long term like that's uh, what enables their business but you know they want to be able to serve regular humans they want to serve my mom like let's and and in fact like i onboarded my mom a few uh months ago onto Healing mobile um she doesn't live in the country so whenever she come to, comes comes to visit, she pays verizon some you know ludicrous amount for a prepaid plan right and and changes her number every time i said no this is ridiculous here's a five dollar a month plan just keep it like, yeah, and, um, yeah, and that, your mom didn't yeah.
0: need a wallet, right? She didn't need USDC oh, or anything related no, to crypto,
1: right? Yeah, she she didn't even install the app on her phone. Um, we did it almost entirely on on her laptop, uh, and then we installed the app on her phone. The app is is the thing that sort of hides the wallet, and that and that's something that they've done. I think really well, which is that the app is a is a wallet, um, uh, and I think they use like a wallet infrastructure provider um, to actually serve it. Uh, I forget which one it is, but you know they they uh, they hide the sort of crypto bits unless you want to experience those crypto bits, right? So, you know, what are those kinds of bits? Like this, there's this concept called mapping, discovery mapping on the network, and you can turn that on. Um, You lose some amount of privacy, right? You're sort of making a proactive choice here. Contrast this from, like, I don't know, a typical ISP that is 100% selling, like, all of your, like, usage data, right? Like, is, you know, here are all the websites that people in this zip code are, are going to. Like, that is incredibly valuable data, um, you know, market research data. Uh, but you're not you're you're sort of opted into that stuff by default. Um, oh, we've anonymized it. It's you know you only know it by 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 your zip code. Well, your zip code tells you a lot about you, right? Like it tells you roughly your like socioeconomic state it, it tells you you know certainly it tells you where you live um it uh, you know there, there's a lot of information that you know you can tie back to you um and hey you can uh you know you can if you're a brand that wants to buy that kind of data you can now send like crap tons of of, of mailers to your house i don't know if you get this in in uh in canada mark but like we i just get so much garbage mail from like Every Instagram like ad company that, that there is, like, you know, all sorts of crap that we get, and like, all of that's mind demographic data, and we know that, right? And and part of your your uh, what you look at on the internet is 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 going into that as, as an input. So, you know, there, Helium Mobile is is trying to do something entirely different, and I think that's and that's pretty powerful. But yeah, like, I think like ultimately, uh, you know, we uh, we we saw this like really interesting launch um that was very simple here's a five dollar plan you have to be in miami um and and why is it so specific it's because they want to be able to build very very dense coverage in an area to prove out this business model so they can then move to the next one and the next one and the next one um and i think that's uh that's a that's a different way to launch a carrier and i you know i I'm, i'm excited to see them grow um, I think these kind, these are the kinds of carriers I want to see built on helium. They don't have to be the only one in the U.S. Um, they also uh, don't have to be the only one in the world. Um, helium Mobile is was launched with this um, this radio protocol called CBRS. It's a it's a uh, it's citizens band um, radio, and and it's um, you know it's it's possible for us as regular human beings and not you know telcos to be able to put up our own radios um, that. Serve sort of the cellular spectrum, uh, but there are other ways that we can do this. Um, you know, Wi-Fi is uh, the other option here. Um, there will be a Wi-Fi hotspot that'll be launched later this year. There's certainly Novas building one. I know of another one called Wi-Fi Dubba based in India. They're building one as well. Um, both not yet approved for the network, but you know they're 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 working towards that. Um, I think Wi-Fi. We're we're in this like really awesome time i think with with the uh with eSIMs being very very easy to install on our phones um and wi-fi offload actually working um uh you know at scale where you could build a carrier anywhere in the world. In fact, like any individual or any brand could actually build their own carrier. And this is a, this was a hot thing. And, you know, I think I mentioned I was in payments for a while. Um, there's a hot thing in payments. Like a company like Blackhawk would, uh, create gift cards for any brand out there. It's why when you go to like, you know, in, in California, you go to Safeway and you see the big wall of like every single kind of gift card out there. It's like powered by Blackhawk. Um, uh, uh, you know, tremendous business. Uh, I could imagine that in five years we'll see that any brand out there will have their own carrier. Um, uh, you know, Mr. Beast might have a carrier, which is crazy. <laughs> like, yeah. like I think that that, that would be, uh, and that's something that I think a, a network like Helium can enable. Um, and I and I, and, you know, I'm here for it.
0: To add some detail to that plan that happened in Miami, the five dollars unlimited plan. Um, if you sign up to that, it's really an agreement between t o- not. Yeah, T-Mobile, and then you have Helium Mobile. So that if you leave Miami, it's not that you lose coverage. You then basically go on T-Mobile's network. But as part of that, Helium Mobile is not an ISP provider. That's actually T-Mobile. And they essentially have like, we're buying this wholesale from T-Mobile, and then we're providing it to our users. Um, when I first heard that on one of the podcasts that you were on, it made me think, why do these ISP providers allow, for example, Helium Mobile to almost like use their network for their own product? Is that something that they know is going on? And like, why do they allow that?
1: yeah I you know I think ultimately they are like a lot of these cellular radios are being installed by professionals, right and they're and they're they're running it on sort of professional grade internet and you know like you as an individual have to figure out whether or not your your professional internet uh, or your home internet is, is sort of able to support this kind of sharing. Um, and that but I think that's like the sort of beauty of, of these kinds of networks is that sort of you can decide. Whether or not you want to share your network for this purpose, right? Um, it, you know, it, in my mind, it's the same as, um, you know, sharing your Wi-Fi password with somebody else, right? Um, and I, and, and ultimately that's a, that's a choice that you can make. Um, and if, you know, some folks might choose to use to, to upgrade their, their, uh, their coverage because of that or upgrade their, their backhaul because of it. Um, we actually noticed this a little bit earlier on in the Helium network with the IoT side. Um, you know, we've had conversations with, Isps, um, and, you know, they it sort of said, look, you know, they, they were looking for ways to partner with us. Um, you know, on the IOT side, it's not a ton of data. Um, so there wasn't a lot of, uh, I guess maybe there wasn't a lot of upside for them to really engage, um, at that level. Uh, but with something like 5G, you know, there is an the opportunity of a lot more data. So I think that that's a, that's an opportunity, right? And I think like there's a, like if, if I am, you know, w- one thing that I think about with, uh, with with my home network, for example, like I I'm part of a wireless ISP um, here in the Bay Area, um, and you know I've got a microwave antenna to my roof, uh, and half of that bandwidth goes to my house, and the other half gets shared with all the all my neighbors, um, and we're all sort of basically paying this ISP an administrative fee for an IP, right? Um, roughly. Um and uh we're paying sort of a maintenance fee that like if, if our radios go offline they'll come and climb on top of our roofs to to fix it. But uh, you know, that that kind of sharing I mean, that that's the kind of sharing that like really attracted me to helium in the first place. Like I've had that radio on my roof for the last ten years almost. Um and you know, how do you scale that globally? Uh you know, really helium is the way to scale that globally, I think. Um, and that's, and that's what I expect to see in the market. That's what I expect to see with these ISPs. Like, you're more likely to upgrade your service, um, if you're also getting paid to, to sort of provide service to others, um, as well. And then you sort of want more bandwidth for yourself as well, right? And that's, and that's, um, that's what I expect to happen over time. The Miami thing is kind of interesting. You actually described it as, uh, as Helium Mobile is, you know, paying, uh, T-Mobile almost as an ISP, like at a, at a wholesale rate. The other thing that they're doing is they're paying the helium network as the other isp right where that coverage is available they're paying a wholesale rate as well to uh to all these hotspot owners um you know effectively uh, to provide coverage uh wherever they are and as more of them are there like that's sort of better for their business and then they want to be able to pay those cheaper wholesale rates uh to those hotspot owners
2: do you see this so you, you mentioned canada earlier um And I'm from Canada, uh, unfortunately. And uh, I would say Canada is like run by for now, now, right? (laughs) For now, yeah. Um, (laughs) I would say maybe it's like run by like a duopoly of two like wireless or or just ISPs, Rogers and Bell. And uh, Mm -hmm. as a result, Canadian uh, prices for internet are actually super high, like especially comparatively to the United States, which many people don't know. and I have this like uh, this little uh, pipe dream that it's like, well, you know, if something like helium existed uh, much more prevalently in, in Canada, that could maybe shift the dynamics a bit more towards like individual carriers and, and maybe more competition in the field. Is that so? Maybe this is a lower question, but like for the future of helium, the network, is that like w- what is the vision there like? It, because you mentioned like maybe one day Mister Beast and stuff will have be its own carrier, and maybe these different brands will have different carriers, or they'll be their own carriers. Do you see a world where Helium Network actually like enables more wireless kind of uh, or internet power to like individual users, as opposed to like these massive colossal like monopolies within Canada? Uh, And like it doesn't have to be specific to Canada. We can, uh, for political correctness, we can just say generic uh, monopolies.
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, you have a you have a personal interest. I don't think that's I don't think there's anything wrong with sort of saying like, hey, like I'm in a country that has this duopoly, and that makes uh, that makes it harder, right? And I think you know, you say that like Canada has a duopoly, but the reality, even in the United States, is that there aren't a lot of providers, um, especially when you leave cities, Um, and that's you know. I saw this incredible report um the other day of you know the cost of providing internet coverage um, to uh, a uh, a just sort of uh, Native American reservation in in Nebraska um, it, it's something around along the lines of you know it cost about fifty thousand dollars per household to to bring fiber to their home that is atrocious like this is in the age and this is Nebraska this isn't like alaska right um uh and this is not like panama um uh where this is in the age where we have starlink and we have pretty cheap wi-fi routers (laughs) like uh, let's build the network there right like that's that was my initial thought when i when i heard that like how do i deploy a bunch of starlink radios a bunch of helium wi-fi hotspots and and give a bunch of people some e-sims and like let them have their own self-sovereign network like, that's, that's what I want to see in the world. And, and, and sure, I want to see that in Canada too, right? Um, I, I think it's, uh, it's atrocious that we're spending, um, and, and I'm, you know, obviously biased here. Uh, I think it's atrocious that we're spending so much money, uh, in infrastructure to trench through desert and put fiber through desert and forests and mountains and, and stuff like that. Um, for, for a good cause. Like, let me be clear. Like, I believe every single human on earth search should have broadband internet like no question um uh but you know the way that we're getting there is, seems incredibly inefficient and and i think there's there sort of better ways to get there um you know the problems in you know build using a network like helium to enable this i think there's two sides of this there's there's one which is the sort of backhaul uh, and there are multiple ways that you can get backhaul to an area um so you know think of like what are the largest sort of highest bandwidth lines that you can get to certain areas so you know can you get it over satellite yeah we can get pretty pretty decent these days um can you do it with fixed wireless i think yes like so think of it like the the micro on my roof um there's some there's some really interesting companies there's one in the helium ecosystem called uh wi-fi dubba um, they are uh, they're, doing, they're using point-to-point lasers uh, to do high bandwidth lengths between, uh, between uh, different parts of cities um, you know, you don't need to trench, fiber is of, of course another option cables another option copper, you know, just in general uh, is an option, but like I think we have to allow for all these different options to provide backhaul and I think there's, uh, there's probably a future where there's a helium or helium-like network that it sort of incentivizes massive backhaul projects so that's one. From there, you need to have sort of local distribution, right? Like, how do you get, you know, how do you become my house, right? How do you become the single node uh, that is a, a hub that has, you know, a 30 other nodes connected to it and provide connectivity to each one of these houses? I think, you know, Helium plays a role there. Uh, and then individual devices, right? How does individual? How does an individual device authenticate? Uh, those aren't now machine-to-machine interactions. You're sort of human-to-machine to interactions. Uh, and that's that's definitely some. That's a that's a role that we're already playing, right? And that, that's what Helium Mobile is all about, and that's what Helium IoT is all about. So I think these are that's that's the place where Helium and Helium like networks can can really thrive. Uh, it's why I love Deepin, right? Like I think this is this is why mm-hmm. this is the the most interesting thing for me as well to, to work on.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, funny that I remember maybe it was like two years ago, maybe a year and a half ago, there'd be like guys who would buy like 50 hotspots and like go to like a local like village or something. It was just a smaller town and then just like distribute to like the tenants and then get like a fee of that and do like a revenue share. So these least all sorts of like interesting economic models. Um, one thing uh, kind of that you said, I, I found kind of interesting, which is that I think you said, and correct me if I'm wrong, something like Nova Labs um, leased the Helium name from foundation, Something, something like that? How does, um, I, so, I mean, yeah. okay, so, um, so while we're on that topic, I'm curious, so like for people who don't know, there's Solana the Network, there's Solana Foundation, there's Solana Labs, and then it seems like Helium maybe has some sort of a similar, you know, maybe there's Nova Labs, which does products, and then there's like Helium Foundation, which does foundation stuff. How should we think about, it? like, how is the structure there and what is maybe the
1: role of each? Yeah, the, the way that I like to think about it is that the the foundation folk works on the protocol, and like companies like Novalabs build apps, right? And the two apps that the that Nova Labs works on today, um, number one is Helium Mobile. This is this carrier that's based in the U.S. that's launching that launched in uh, Miami, um, and, and we'll start to grow from there. Uh, and then there's another sort of product group inside there called 1663, and that is their IoT services company and they're building on the iot side of the helium network um so you know they're they're uh think of them like an apps company that's sort of building on top of this network um obviously they have a lot of history and knowledge about the old chain and and about proof of coverage and and they work on things in the ecosystem they're you know community developers for for some of the things that we work on too um but the foundation is responsible for the core protocol, um, all the Solana programs, uh, you know, and then, uh, so from a technical perspective, uh, we're responsible there. We're also responsible for the Loroan protocol. So, you know, how does Helium implement Loroan? Um, and how, you know, what is the firmware that sits on all these hard, uh, on, on all these pieces of hardware that's deployed? Um, you know, are they using the right frequency plans in the right countries? Like, we're an active conversation right now is there are a bunch of countries in Africa that are, um, uh, not specified of what frequency plan they should use. Um, we think our, it's our role here to be an advocate for those countries and say we should use these, these frequencies here. We're working with local authorities to try to, like, suss out, you know, what is correct there before this sort of regulatory sort of body, um, sort of corporate body, sort of corporate mixed corporate regulatory body called the Laura Alliance, sort of decides, here's the frequency plan for this area, right? So that's like, uh, that's our role. Like we live in the protocol. Um, and, you know, we allow for folks to, you know, we say, hey, come build on top of us. And you know, how do we enable you to build more stuff on top of us? So, like, you know, if another service provider, another carrier comes along, they'd come to us and be like, hey, like, we'd like to build alongside Nova and be like the carrier for Canada or maybe the carrier for the UK or, or uh, we want to be a competitive carrier in the US. Like, uh, welcome the competition.
0: I'm curious, would you say it's harder to build out these deep end networks than it is, you know, another Dex? But once you actually have built that out and gotten adoption, I would think you have much stronger moats because you do have this physical infrastructure, similar to what, like, Amazon would have with AWS or their logistics network or even Walmart with their stores. Um, And as as part of that, too, I'm curious, as this grows and you did have competitors pop up in the space, if you're one of these operators that's providing a hotspot, is it going to be as easy as maybe like an Uber driver that can switch between Uber and Lyft? Like, is it that easy for someone to be like, oh, this network's actually paying me more right now, I'll switch? Or yeah, how do you think about competition moats and just a sustainable network?
1: I don't think we're there yet. Like, I think the, I think the reality is that it's still like as, as fast as we've grown as a network in, in such a short amount of time and, you know, four years. Um, I don't think we're at a steady state yet where I could say that it's just easy to, to move around or easy to sort of, you know, do we have a moat? Um, I would argue that inertia is still the strongest factor here right is it possible for you to pull out some hardware uh you know take the sd card out flash it with something else put it back in like you know for me yeah of course it'd be easy but like that is not the market that's not the user base that we're talking about here and and it's unfair to expect any you know regular helium hotspot deployer to be able to do that and i think that's why like there should be companies built around enabling, you know, maintenance of these hotspots. I think that, and then there are a few out there that are, that are sort of building tools around this stuff. Um, we still need to push towards like a more consistent firmware. One of the, I think a really good decision we made along the way was sort of, we uh, kind of open source the firmware on what runs on hotspots and we brought in and we created a community driven uh, sort of ecosystem and sort of community mandated ecosystem where hotspots manufacturers could get approved and they could run this firmware and they could be part of the helium network all that was like built uh, but it also created a long tail of hotspot manufacturers um who, some of whom haven't been able to continue maintaining the network and maintain their, their part of the network. And so I think it is actually important for us as a foundation now to like build common firmware where another manufacturer could take on a fleet, for example. Um, and, uh, and, you know, for a fee or because they, you know, it's, it's not too expensive for them to continue to, to do that work. Um, you know, I think that's, that's what I want to see over the next couple of years, especially like, you know, especially during a bear market, I think, you know, people, uh, people will happily just leave something running if it's just doing what, what they think it's doing. Uh, but they'll also, like, ultimately they do care, right, about like, hey, is this thing, you know, doing what I thought it was supposed to do? So uh, I think making things simpler, easier is still, like, it's still part of our roadmap. Abaya,
2: one thing I'm curious about is, so Helium is now on Solana, and so is HiveMapper and renders migrating and, there's also like, uh, I think it's called Otoy, which is like high precision um, uh, positioning mm-hmm. systems and and teleport decentralized Uber.
1: Onokoi? Onokoi?
2: Onokoi, yeah. Sorry. Otoy um, is render.
1: Otoy is render, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
2: um, so it seems like there is maybe uh, an influx or like a cluster of end applications that are building on or protocols building on Solana. Do you think at all this gives Solana any like, benefits in terms of like, attracting other dpin builders or do you think like these types of app protocol builders will just start from first principles every single time and just go to whatever chain like maybe their app chain um how do you think about like the network effects there
1: well i think one of the things that we did a lot of hopefully uh, and, and and folks are you know hopefully folks are benefiting from that is like we we sort of built a lot of like fundamental tools that you need for these kinds of deep end projects um, you know we open source the helium program library from the start um, uh, you know we're working with uh, with some of these teams um, some that you mentioned um, to actually use that for their work um, mm-hmm. and I think that uh, that hopefully is an accelerator for them to get them to, to be able to adopt solana and launch on solana sooner um, and I think that's um, that's something that we're always open to doing I think you know I uh, both Noah and I have a very strong, um, sort of belief in, in open source tooling and, and sort of making, you know, this kind of stuff better. As much as like there is, I uh, will, I will say though that there is almost no documentation. The documentation is probably like my head, Noah's head, Brian's <laughs> head. Like that, sadly, that's where we are. Um, but you know, yeah, engineer problems. <laughs> um, but like, you know, I think that this is, uh, uh, something that we, we, you know, is there, I think your bigger questions around like, is there a network effect? Is there sort of a, you know, is there some kind of uh, point where, you know, if you're building one of these deep end projects, you go, well, I'll just launch on Solana because that's obviously the place to be for this stuff. Um, I don't know if we're there yet. Um, I think it really only happens when there is a clear uh, composability story between these projects. Right. Um, you know, I'll, I'll give a perfect example of, a, of a, a project that uses Helium that isn't on Solana, Demo. right? And Demo uses Helium uh, for, for backhaul. They're about to launch a new kind of um, ODB2 um, de- device that you can plug into your car uh, that only uses Helium for backhaul. And, and it's very easy for them to go buy HT on, on a DEX or on a centralized exchange, burn it for data credits, and, you, and you know, all the Demo devices can have backhaul. Like That's not hard for them today um and so like they're i don't know if they have any interest in, in being on solana um more than happy to help them if that's something that they they want to do at some point but there's no like driving force right now right like there's nothing forcing them to get there um but if you're a brand new project and you haven't built any protocol stuff and you want to, a place to start i would open up the healing program library and just start there like, that is, that is definitely going to you know, sort of accelerate, um, uh, you know, shipping something on-chain. Um, the other thing that I think is, uh, you know, interesting, you know, we were hoping for uh, some of the tools that were already there on Solana to sort of accelerate our ability to, to govern our network. Because governing, I think you you mentioned this, like, governing these kinds of networks is um, very different than, you know, something like a DeFi protocol. Um, and so, and we have a lot more... and for me the reason why i think it's harder is because you have a lot more stakeholders and a lot more sort of variety of stakeholders you're not homogenous um you know for for helium you have people that are providing coverage people that are using that coverage um you know maybe people that are staking and, and all those other par- uh, those other parties as well um but all of those need to sort of have their own ways to vote and in helium like you even have geographical subslices like we've had a a, a governance action that only affected australia like how do you carve out that deck wallet holder base um and and that's uh that's something that i think uh you know it's not easy to do with existing tools so that's why we started building modular governance um and and we're going to publish that and that's going to be um something that we hope other projects you know will probably need um especially deeper projects will probably need something like that
0: Hmm. It's interesting. I think a lot of people from the Ethereum ecosystem probably don't even know what d is, or maybe they've heard the term, but um, they're not very involved. And I think part of that's just the EVM and the high fees. Like It's not scalable. You need extremely low fees because these payments and all the NFTs that you have, Then there's millions of NFTs and then also the payments are very small, right? So if you have high transaction fees, you're going to get negative very quickly if you have any sort of these spikes. You've seen Neil from Eclipse. They just announced their like, general um, L2 launching on Ethereum, SVM L2. And he actually talked about one of the main use cases he hopes to bring to Ethereum is end. So I am curious to see how that split between the network effect you have in Solana right now and any new end protocols that pop up if they naturally come to Solana or if they start looking into something like the SVM L2, which the big difference is Solana is actually running and proven today. So I think... That's the tailwind <laughs> there. One thing I did want to ask about is, you know, some of these other deep end protocols you have render and they have a tailwind with the AI, you know, revolution, as some people would say, with the demand for GPUs. What would be a tailwind um, for Helium? Besides just the fact that, like, if you have a bull market, we won't get to token prices, but obviously people would like to put up new hotspots because they're going to be rewarded in HNT. And if prices are going up, that's a great thing. But is there any other tailwind otherwise? Just like, is there demand for these hotspots similar to there's a demand for more GPUs?
1: So on the, on the mobile side, I think, um, that the tailwind is pretty clear. It's the demand for bandwidth, like it continues to increase, right? Like we are, um, we, I don't know, like even in my house, I think there's probably like seven or eight devices that are cellular connected. Um, uh, you know, and you know, when my kids watch, uh, whatever bluey or something like that, like they're, they're sort of streaming, um, you know pretty high quality video uh, to their devices at all times. And then this is like, you know, this is a, um, uh, the demand is only increasing. It's like also very, very mobile. Um, you know, I definitely like love watching highlights of, of, uh, you know, some game from the night before, um, when I'm sitting and and waiting for, you know, uh, I'll throw my kids under the bus again, waiting to pick them up at school. Um, uh, (laughs) So yeah, so like that, this, the sort of the demand will continue to increase on the mobile side, and 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 this is something that we we continue to see. The other side of this is that the cost of deploying this kind of hardware is incredibly high. Verizon spent a crap ton of money uh, trying to uh, deploy five G all over the U.S., and then they had to rip it all out and put on put on another full release of of brand new hardware because the standard changed. so the, the these costs are incredibly high. This, this sort of my fifty thousand dollars for a single home to get fiber because it's in the middle of nowhere and um, or seemingly in the middle of nowhere in, in Nebraska. Like those kinds of costs exist and those are real. And, and I think you know finding more efficient ways to to provide high bandwidth infrastructure to every single person in the world. I think that's where the demand will come on the mobile side. On the IoT side, I think you know each one of these devices. Um, are you know that the number of these devices is is going up exponentially, um, and you know having a large, available, reliable network that's very very cost effective um, will drive demand on the IoT side. And so I think that's where the that's where the tailwind comes. The tailwind comes from For me, it comes from utility not from token price. Um, and so I think that's that's what we spend our time on, and, and that's what we're trying to promote.
2: So by we've talked obviously a lot about Deepin in this episode. I am curious um to get your thoughts on just the the general state of crypto, right? So you have you have DeFi, you have payments, you have gaming, you have, I don't know, a lot of other stuff, MEV, um, just just a whole lot of different uh, uh sectors within crypto. There's obviously regulation, uh, maybe Asia's regulation is more friendly, maybe there's migrations. There's so many things happening. What do you think about the current state of crypto? Like what's your Take how do you? What is your mental model of how you think about these things?
1: I think ultimately crypto is a tool, right? Like, and and you know we are uh, like I, I spend all of my time uh, on Helium, right? Like I'm not really like as attuned to some of the things that are happening um, in other parts of crypto. Um, I find I, I think in general, um, you know, why do we like why do we use these kinds of tools like? as an engineer i want the um you know I, I want the system that allows for uh the sort of maximum product value right for for my end customer and and i believe ultimately that these tools that we are starting to build and we're not complete on yet in my, and my were, we're certainly not complete um you know i think these are the tools that will help enable uh, sort of a new kind of commerce and new kind of marketplace and and and, and will continue to sort of build over time and you know the the sort of macro will it'll it'll take years to to you know change um so that's like you know bear markets are like i think we've all heard this before bear markets are great for builders um uh and you know i'm I'm certainly building because of that you know i think things that i get excited about in crypto that have nothing to do with deepen really probably are around um you know things around identity um and and because like ultimately identity is you know, and, and there has to be like multiple ways of sort of identifying yourself, right? And, and sort of decentralized identity is a really tough problem, I think. Um, and, and I think that that is, uh, that is a place that i you know, love to see more of. Um, you know, I, I think that it's important to have these kinds of systems, um, because ultimately, like, we don't have really great systems in civil, uh, in, in crypto to like, you know, for, for, around civil resistance. And, and I think that's like, uh, a thing that is that a lot of our projects sort of have to deal with, um, and you know, I'd love to not have to to solve that problem. So, like, if so, if if all the other efforts happening there, great, go for it. Like, <laughs> that that would be great. Um, I think some of the things that are happening in DeFi are, I know, sort of very macro, sort of very affected by the macro, right? Like, if we're in a risk-off environment, and you know, and I think ultimately, like that's that's sort of driving the rest of the the rest of the crypto landscape um it has effects on all of us right there's no question um but uh but but you know those things are cyclic and and sort of resolve that over time i think so uh i don't know to other founders i would say you know figure out where to cut costs uh figure out where to survive and figure out out where, where you can like continue to build um that is the place uh that you know we all need to be uh, because these sort of you know and sort of ignore the macro cycles
0: yeah that's really interesting maybe Mert, before we go into rapid fire i'd love to hear is is there any type of composability right now between between helium and other whether it's DeFi or some other protocol in the in solana like is there a benefit there or is the true benefit right now just the low cost the speed and all the infrastructure
1: I think the low cost is definitely a thing. That's that's a huge benefit. Um I mean having a a a single token program, I think that's composability on its own, right? Like that uh uh you know I know for a f- so you know I have definitely talked to um folks that um you know want to deploy they want to sort of implement HNT and and Helium and, and the other tokens um in their in their in in their sort of protocols and their platforms. Um you know uh having to integrate a brand new l1 is a lot of work (laughs) like there's no question um and you know being in a in in an ecosystem where you know you have a single token standard like actually makes a makes a huge difference um and you know being in the same ecosystem uh as other tokens um also makes makes a huge difference um so i think that that is um that's definitely huge uh outside of that like you know the other thing that I like about the the Solana ecosystem is that the sort of builders in the ecosystem just build shit and tell you about it after (laughs) Um, it's like, Oh, this is, this is on, uh, on Solana. I can now do this. And Hey, look what I just built. Right. And that that's basically happened from the day that we launched on, uh, on Solana, uh, including to like 15 minutes before we started recording. Right. Like, Hey, I built this thing, check it out. Like, and that's, um, you know that's kind of. A, I, I sort of made a tongue in cheek joke on Twitter the other day of like composability is maybe the friends we made along the way. Um, and like, but I think that's true, right? Like, ultimately, like the, the builders are your friends, right? And they're, they're the ones that sort of show up and say, Hey, like we built this thing because you guys are in this ecosystem and it's it's possible to, like, it is, it is, you know, uh, it, we, we are actually able to do it here.
2: All right, so I'm actually not going to do rapid fire today, but I, I do want to ask a classic question that I always ask, mainly for my own benefit uh, as as a selfish (laughs) person, uh, which which is that, uh, Abai, you are the CEO of Helium Foundation, and uh, that definitely cannot be an easy task. And it certainly uh, requires a lot of responsibility and and operational chops. So I guess I'm curious, you did actually just give somewhat of uh, uh, like a little piece of advice for like cutting costs or figuring out where to cut costs just before this answer, but I'm curious if you could just give one piece of advice to founders or operators um, in crypto right now. What, do you, what do you what
1: would you hope they take away? What would it be? I mean, I think, number one, are you building something that people want, right? Like, you, if, if you aren't, then what, what are you even doing? <laughs> like, like what, why are you even bothering? Um, like, are you solving a problem that actually needs to be solved? Like, you know, there's a, there's a customer on the other side of that problem right like that that wants you to solve it and i think that's that's really really important um uh, number 2 like solve for the math problem right like the math problem is like here's money coming in and here's money going out and you know, you you if in a especially in a market uh like this like i've i've now uh had the both the pleasure and the pain of being at many many startups um uh and and some of them have been very successful and have been inc- i've been pers- you know very lucky to be a part of those teams um and some have been like total failures right and and we've had to shut down we've had to sell um we've had to uh just close shop like all those things all those things happen in startups and this is the sort of um environment that I uh I appreciate and I love being in um but like ultimately it comes down to a math problem that is like you know money in money out um and you know what is your next milestone and and what do you plan to do with that next milestone right and that's you know to every founder like just keep your eyes on that Prize and like everything else is noise. Right. And um fall and you know, and you know, while you're doing that, it's all for the people, right, that that are sort of on that mission with you. Cause yeah, like you're the CEO, it's a very, very lonely position, like, and that's okay. Um, uh, ask other CEOs, ask other founders for help. Um, they're often the ones that you can bounce stuff off of, um, uh and you know, friend DA them or whatever you need to do to to make it okay. Um uh, and uh and and you know ask for help where you need it but then like solve for the people behind you because you might be at the tip of the spear but there's no way you're gonna do it without the people on your team. Right. So like make sure that they are they're good well and, and they're well informed and they, they know what's going on uh, the whole time. So that's uh I guess that's like the you know the thing that sometimes you forget in a in a in a very sort of bullish environment. Um, and It's easy to lose track of that kind of stuff. Um, So, yeah, don't like when, if or when, like any of this sort of changes, um, don't forget those things as well. Because, like, yeah, what are you solving for? Are you solving for a real product or a real problem? Um, Are you, uh, you know, are you reaching your next milestone? What is that next milestone? And, And, like, are you able to solve the math problem until you get there?
0: Yeah, that's a really great answer. Well, bye. thanks so much for coming on today. This is really exciting. I'm I'm pumped for Deepin. And look, if you're not actually involved directly in Deepin yourself, it's worth learning about. Not only because it's interesting, but it's actually something that you can use to explain to someone, like what can crypto actually do and provide to this world? (laughs) So it's a a super interesting topic. I actually explained this to somebody yesterday as I was prepping for this who had no idea about crypto. And it took 30 seconds for them to be like, oh, okay, I could see, you know, I could see how that could work. So um, very exciting. Thanks again for coming on. We'll have to do this again soon.
1: For sure, Garrett. Thanks, Mark.
0: Sweet. We'll see you next time.